Hello and welcome to The Reconstructionist where we help you reconstruct while you deconstruct so you don't self-destruct. So this week I'm very excited to share with you this conversation I had with Sid Coop. Me and Sid go back a long way. I don't even know how many years, but back to when around the time I was in junior high, going to Bible camp is when the is the first time I ran into Sid and he was a speaker at that Bible camp. But ever since then, he just seems to be popping into my life. Um, whether it is from seeing him at youth conferences that we work at together or whether it's seeing him in the Coalition for Youth Ministry, which was a youth program that I took two years in while I was at Briarcrest. I'm just kind of all over the place. And, and and one thing that I've always noticed about Sid is he has such a good voice and pulse on the culture, especially youth culture today. And in that, he's able to notice a lot of things that I don't hear a lot of people talking about. And one of those things is identity. And identity is something that I think we see everywhere. We see it in the media. We see it on social media. We see it in our day-to-day lives and the way people talk, but it's not something we've really, at least I haven't seen us really talk about as Christians and as followers of Jesus as to like, what is identity? Where should we find it? Um, Is culture right in what it's telling us? Or is there something that we can critique and say, actually, I don't know if this is really that healthy. And so me and Sid just like full on dive into this topic and he just unloads a bunch of information and thoughts and it is incredible and absolutely worth your time. So I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Sid. Hey, Sid, how's it going? Good, Aiden. How are you, bro? Oh, I am good. I'm very excited to talk about this with you. I have known of you for a long time. I don't even know how many years. It's been a while because you spoke at a Bible camp around like the Lloydminster area, Pleasant View Bible Camp, where I grew up going to camp. And so I knew you from there, but then I've known you more and more throughout. You just kept popping back up or wasn't just there. We're like, then I joined the coalition this year. And so you're obviously a part of the Coalition for Youth Ministry, um, helping youth workers and youth pastors further their education and you taught one of the classes there and so i've been involved with you for quite a while but i'm, I'm pumped to have you on here i'm very very Dude, excited hey this is such a privilege aiden and again you know i i get a chance like you said we've had a chance for our pathways to cross lots actually and and uh, you came out of a really robust youth ministry up in lloyd which was super fun to to, to see that journey to some degree take place, of course. And then, um, and then also with the conferences that we do, seeing you roll in those spaces and the role that you have at, at the church you're in, which has been really fun as well. And so Aiden, it's a real privilege, man. And I'm pumped to see you doing this and privileged to be a part of this right now. This is so good. So way to go, bro. I love this. Oh, the privilege is all mine. Uh, for those who don't know who you are, can you just give like a little intro, like who you are, what you do, and like what life has been like for you during COVID? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. Aiden, I, um, I've been in youth ministry full time for, oh man, I guess I would say I, I left Briarcrest where I was doing my education in 1998 and started as a youth pastor uh, back in 1998. So mm-hmm. it, it's been like 20 years now over 20 years already and was was involved in ministry before that you know doing youth quake and working with youth for christ as a volunteer and and different things but what's weird about that Aiden, is i grew up in this little church in manitoba like 30 people that didn't have a youth ministry so oh, didn't really? even have a clue what that was like and then god like just did some really crazy work in my life and brought me into this space and so i've loved it loved it so much mm. and um and and uh a number you know near the beginning we started an organization called truth matters ministries that was just kind of an umbrella 
to be able to speak to students. And then over the years, you know, that organization has kind of expanded its reach and, and evolved and morphed as well. So right now I'm working full-time with our organization mm. primarily in the area that we call the youth worker community. So we encourage and equip youth workers to better help the next generation know Jesus. That's our passion, of mm-hmm. course, and thankful to be a part of that. And we do a number of different things, Aiden, as you know, you're part of it. We, we do conferences. We do the Coalition for Youth Ministry Excellence, super fun. We, we create and build digital resources so that youth workers can access those easily from wherever they are. We're involved in some coaching stuff, which is, which is wicked cool as well, and doing some yeah. ministry design. So it's like all over. It's such a privilege to be able to do it. And I'm pretty pumped to be in this space, man. Really cool. No, it's awesome. And you've been huge in the youth world for like equipping people and helping. Even like for our youth ministry, we purchased some videos from you and Jason who just went over some basic youth leader, uh, youth worker questions and they were super helpful. So you've been a huge blessing to that community and I like greatly appreciate everything you've done there. It's been amazing. Thank you, Aiden. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate that. For this, when I thought, I was like, I want to bring on Sid and I was like, what do we want to talk about? And I, I thought about this thing that I think I don't hear a lot of people actually talking about. It's weird because I hear it talked about a lot, but it's yeah. not actually really talked about. And it's this yeah. whole idea of identity. And I yeah. think in our culture, like people bring it up all the time. Yeah. But when it comes to church and when it comes to even our own thought process, I don't think we spend a lot of time thinking about this thing, even though it's yeah. talked about a lot, just like yeah. in offhanded phrases. So I wanted to ask you, like, when I say this word identity, what to you is is identity and why is it important and something that seems to be popping up more and more? Yeah. So I think, uh, Aiden, I actually think that this cultural moment we're in, this is the question that we mm. in the church have to wrestle with and address. I think, I think this is, um, how would I frame this? I, 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 this is at the very essence of the current cultural psyche, if you will, that we have to, as a church, um, provide a, uh, a robust answer to the question of identity. Where do I find it? What makes it up? Why is it mm. important to think about this? Because culture at large is bringing forward a message that's really framing and shaping the way people understand themselves and others. So I actually, you know, Aiden, and by the way, this is not like original thinking with me by any means. There's been plenty of people who are shaping my thinking around this. Do you know what I mean? And so I get to steal yeah. their stuff and, and kind of wrestle with it. But I really do think, first of all, I, I think that this has been the common question of humanity forever mm. um, since creation. But I think that right now there's some unique ways that culture is pushing us to understand identity that yeah. I actually want to say is really self-destructive to us as mm. human beings and really opposite of the way that Jesus would have us live and, and experience life the way that we were designed to experience it. In fact, Aiden, I, you know, again, and I'm not like a clinical psychologist or anything. So I want to be really careful. I'm a youth pastor, but I think one of the reasons why we have such an epidemic of mental health issues right now amongst adolescents, I think is because of the way that culture has moved us to think about identity. I think that's contributing significantly in that journey with young people. Man. Oh, that's, Mildly alarming. <laughs> yeah, <But laughs> well, also, and I could be wrong. It's just my but, thoughts. Yeah, you Do you know what I mean? But yeah, but yeah. um, but it makes me think because you've you've been in the youth game for a little bit, so you've you've been able to kind of watch the shift. And so I wonder if to you, like, what how have you seen identity shift over the years? Like, what what is the difference now than it was back then? Why does it seem to be more concerning now? 
Yeah, great. So I think that identity, you know, when I would think about the 20 years of youth ministry that I've been in, I'm not sure, like, I think the the foundations were in place for the current reality we're experiencing. When I mm. think broadly, historically, I think there's been some real significant shifts that we see, and also culturally. So I think the mm. way that we understand identity now in the West is quite different than the way we do in the East. And so there's elements that we should be aware of there. So um, Tim Keller, Timothy Keller talks about this. He does a, he, he did a, a session around gospel identity that I thought was, Oh, oh man, it's really fascinating. And, and it, it got my head spinning on it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and by the yeah. way, he wrote this little book called the freedom of self forgetfulness. I would so recommend mm. all people should read it, especially youth workers. You need to read it. And already the title should make you go, Oh, that feels a little different than anything we would hear in a normal cultural context. You know mm. what I mean? But here's, here's the shift that he talks about that I think is true. That's taken place or is taking place, especially in the West that um, historically identity was kind of something that was given from without Okay, so we would find our identity primarily rooted perhaps in family. So honor mm -hmm. cultures are still that way right now or the community that we're in or something from outside of us was the primary definition of who you're supposed to be. You know, how do you understand yourself? Where do you find your significance? How should you act? All that kind of stuff, primarily from without. And so what would happen is, you know, if I was a young person in an environment, I would allow the environment to say who I should be. And I would try to, you know, if there was a, a dissonance within me around how I felt about myself and what, you know, the environment I was in said, I would change, I would fight to change how I thought and conform to what was, mm. what was happening on the outside of me. Mm. So, um, uh, now we live in a culture that's exactly the opposite, right? So our culture has been preaching at us that your identity is primarily from within. It's been doing it for, yeah. you know, before I was aware of the journey of identity for sure. Do you know what I mean? And so who you are is based around how you feel about yourself. You know, we hear messages like you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. You should do whatever makes you feel happy and, and all that. Kind of, we get that. And in our current cultural context, if, if there's a, um, if there's dissonance between how you feel about yourself and what something or some community outside of you is saying about you, then our mm. culture says that that element outside of you needs to change its position because wow. we don't have a right to actually, um, suggest, uh, a shaping of your sense of self from outside. Now I want to say a couple of things about this, man, this is fire me up. I go on forever. A couple of things about this. Number one, as a follower of Christ, while I stand against the idea that your identity primarily comes from within you, how you feel, I stand against that. Hmm. I also don't stand for the idea that your identity primarily comes from your family or your community. I don't, hmm. because I think that leaves us open to quite a bit of manipulation as well. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and unhealthy thinking patterns. What I advocate for as a follower of Christ is that our identity should come from the one who has created us, who knows us better than we know ourselves and loves us infinitely more than we could even be aware of or understand or, or, or truly grasp. So hmm. there's something even greater than ourselves that we should entrust our identity to. And that has all sorts of implications in our lives. So here's, here's a couple of things that it means, Aiden. Number one, it means that, yes, our identities are complex. No doubt about it. And there's different elements that help shape our understanding of ourselves. So whether it's our activities we're involved in, whether it's, you know, what we, what we think, whether it's our family, all these things actually do our culture, our ethnicity, 
all of these things are important elements of yeah. understanding ourselves. And I'm not opposed to that reality. What I'm saying, though, is we begin to interpret and understand and respond to those elements through the lens of who Jesus ultimately is and what he calls us to. So there's mm. something beyond our subjective emotional realities that we become rooted and grounded in. So mm. here's what happens. Oh my word. I could just keep going here. Stay with me for a second more. So here's what happens, dude. When our identity is primarily from within us, first of all, I think there's a big problem. Our culture says that you should create your own identity. I don't think we were designed to carry the weight of that responsibility. Bro. Uh, I think it's crushing. Uh, and not only is it crushing, but it leaves us open to the manipulation of others. So it's actually a fallacy. We actually don't, create our own identity from within. Someone is shaping the way we feel about ourselves from outside mm. of us. So let's just be really clear. It's a fallacy. Okay. We're being manipulated. Just call it what it is. So then the question is, you got to ask yourself, okay, what outside voice do I actually want to give authority to in my life? Like there's actually something huh. real about that. The second thing is, is we become incredibly fragile when our identity is primarily from within. You know what I mean? Like my emotions yeah. shift and change. What if my understanding of myself, I got it wrong? What if I don't actually mm -hmm. like this identity that I've chosen to take on about myself? What if I fail? What if I say, this is who I is, I am, but I can't live up to this? What if I fail, right? So it's messes with your mind. You know, in that, so we're fragile people. Here's the other issue. There's a lot of things about my past experience that's shaped my emotional reality. I don't like, man. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it's actually not good if I'm honest with myself, right? So culture tells us, hey, dude, look in the mirror and tell yourself you're awesome. Like, that's the way to deal with the condemning voices in our brain, right? And so for some of us, we're like, man, I'm looking in the mirror. I'm telling myself I'm awesome. That kind of works. I feel a little bit better. But the dark moments of my life, the quiet moments of my life, I can't escape the reality that I'm actually not that awesome. So I try mm -hmm. to like compartmentalize it, put it away, but those voices, they keep on like framing me. So here's where the gospel comes in. The gospel is so wicked, right? Because the gospel is Jesus, the one who has created us from without. He comes to us and tells us that we actually don't have to ignore the negative experiences or failures that we've had in our life. We can call them what they are, but we uh -huh. don't have to allow them to shape us or own us anymore because the gospel says that when Jesus died on the cross, he recreates us, makes us new. So we can acknowledge what was, but we mm -hmm. say those voices no longer have the right to own me because there's something from outside of me that's defining of me. So even though I feel a certain way, even though I wrestle, I go, wait a second, that's actually not true. There's an identity I've been given by something objective, real and good, like good, right? Like for mm -hmm. my best, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And I go, I can lean there. So this experience is true. This feeling is true. I don't ignore it. Don't pretend it doesn't exist, but I don't let it own me. The reality of the identity I've been given, that owns me and that is control ultimately of who I am. And it dictates how I should respond to these other elements in my life. And Aiden, it breeds resilience. There's strength, mm -hmm. there's courage, there's a type of stability. It's a battle, don't get me wrong. Of course it's a battle but there's something real there that God's designed us for. And here's the other beautiful thing about a gospel identity. Keller says this, of course, is that there's no experience he doesn't redeem or he can't mm. use for really good purposes. Uh. So I don't even have to be ashamed of those things anymore. I can call them what they are and know that in my new identity given to me by my creator, that I get to live out something redemptive and good, even in light of what's taken place in the past. So I'm just saying, bro, like there's a better way to be that God calls us to as followers of Christ, that the gospel narrative, the worldview, the answers around identity 
are like sure and solid and true. And it's, it's giving me like, I just, it's, it's for the good of all people, bro. It's for the, it's for Mm. us to be truly human. Here's the other thing that happens. Oh my word. Here's the other thing that happens. So, and and we will talk about this, although you got me going now. So who's cutting in? Um, Here's the deal, right? So I'm, I'm reading through Psalm 139, which is like this wicked Psalm of God's absolute knowledge of us, right? It talks mm-hmm. about he knows our intentions, he knows our thoughts, blah, blah, blah. He like, he's uber present. And then the psalmist is like, where can I escape from your presence? It's kind of freaking him out, right? Because he's like, God, you're so clear. It's like, I'm losing myself. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I can't get, I'm losing myself. And he's right. When we understand the presence of God, like his real presence and his power, his work on the cross, the truth is there is this element that we lose ourselves, right? Like we have mm-hmm. to surrender over to him. And the psalmist ultimately goes like, search me, know me, see if there's anything in me that doesn't line up, lead me in the path of righteousness. So here's what happens is when we begin to really, if you're a follower of Christ, I'm speaking to followers of Christ right now. If you're a follower of Christ, you, you know, over and over again, Jesus says, you got to deny yourself, take up the cross, follow me. And it's around identity. You're going to lose yourself, be open to me, fully taking over. And for some of us, we go, that's really scares me because there's these things that have, have defined me that you might be asking me to lose my grip on. Well, here's the point. Because he's our creator and because he radically loves us, if there's something he's asking us to lose our grip on, to hold, to give over to him, it was never meant to define us in the first place. It's only taking away from our humanity as opposed to actually adding to it. And so there's something in, and, and he knows because he's our creator and he's calling us to something different. And so this whole idea, Aiden, around identity to me is so significant. In fact, when you take a look at the commands of like deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus, like that call, that call can only be experienced as good when we find our identity firmly rooted in the reality of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're asking me to to kill myself for no good reason. And there's no reason why we would want to move in that direction. We weren't even wired for that stuff, bro. No, yeah, man, that's that's good. Uh yeah. I wanna I wanna bring it back to because I know there are some people who are in that are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're on board, but I know that for some people it's like, what do you what do you mean? Like, what's the like they're like, I felt I right now feel more free in my identity and being like, yeah, I'm finding it in my gender identity or in my sexuality or in um, I'm finding it in, in, in my job or in my career yeah. or in just having a positive self. They're like, they're like, is there, what's the harm? Like what, like, right. cause, cause you're sitting here being like, oh yeah, like this, this is going to fall apart. But they're like, what's, what's actually going to happen? Like right now it feels great. And it feels like I'm actually being freed up. So what, what, where's this leading? Why is this actually a bad thing? What's, yeah. what's the issue? Yeah. So I think that's really worthy, uh, Aiden, to acknowledge and have the conversation. And part of the wrestling match, of course, I think, is that we see people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who have claimed to say, hey, my identity is found as him, are not living a flourishing life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't think I want that action, right? I get it. Uh, that's really fair. A couple of thoughts that I have in that area. Um, number one, uh, if I believe that God's way as my creator is the flourishing way and I'm not experiencing flourishing, then I should maybe ask myself a couple of questions around if I'm actually leaning into the way he's called me to lean in a right way. Cause there's lots of tensions that can go with this. And so I'm open to that. There has to be a level of humility that goes with that. The other element I want to say is what, what I'm advocating for, what I'm suggesting is that when our identity is primarily rooted within our emotional disposition, 
you can use the word orientation. I don't care. I'm not, and I'm not talking by the way, just about gender and sexuality. I'm just, I'm talking in general. Do you know what I mean? Like an mm-hmm. emotional space within us. Yeah. There's no doubt that there's going to be seasons that are going to be really, really awesome. I don't doubt that you're going to feel really great. You're going to have a lot high level of, of, of freedom. You'll experience in it. Feel good. All that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying to you though, is that um, I think that, that you're open to being manipulated for that when it's based there primarily. I think when difficult seasons come, um, that it's harder for us to find stability in that space. I want to suggest that there's that when that's there, you start, you have to grasp for, there's a fear of losing um, out of that space. You know, because again, it's based around that, you know, the emotional reality within us that's shaped, by other elements, I think it puts us in a place that um, can be really dangerous for us. Now, do I think again, that people who claim to be followers of Christ and live that way can find themselves in that same space? Yeah, absolutely. But in, 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 you know, what I'm advocating or suggesting is that there's a gospel way that we're all continuing to fight for, even when we don't grasp it completely. And mm-hmm. that the idea is sound, like the idea it, it's a, it's a, it's a sound reality for us to push for. Like, I I just, I think, you know, I think in general, um, Aiden, that um, even within secular psychology, the idea of identity primarily based in our emotional realities or experiences would say that it does leave us much more open to types of abuse Uh and, and um, uh, what do I want to say? Uh, abuse and and lack of resilience that 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 we're living in. There's a great book that I would suggest that we should read. Is a book called um, uh, called uh, Oh shoot, the Coddling of the American Mind. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That speaks about this idea that that we are emotionally in a place that's not healthy for us generally as a culture because of some of the things culture said to us. We can't handle. You know, in extreme circumstances, we have a hard time handling someone disagreeing with us mm. or pressing on us or telling us that's wrong, which which what that ends up doing is moving us to places where we catastrophize. We think things bigger than they are. We misinterpret. We can't leave room for great conversation or disagreement in a respectful and loving way. I want to say that when our identity is from without, we actually have a greater opportunity to have a high respect for all people and be more tolerant mm. of others than when our identity primarily comes from within, because I'm not threatened then. Mm. My identity is primarily from within. I'm always fighting being threatened by the other and I don't have to be. I'm okay. It's good. Mm. There's something more that I'm living for. So that's that's how I would position myself on that aid. Yeah, and I see that in, yeah, I definitely see that in culture. And I think, um, I think we know there's something wrong, but I think we keep misdiagnosing it where we yeah. think the reason why everything is so polarized and everyone's so insane and attacky is because, oh, it's because of social media, which is like, sure, I'm sure it plays a part. It, it's because of um, politics and fake news. Yeah, I'm sure that plays a part. But I think that maybe at the root of all these things is that we, 
as a people have chosen to identify with either a political party or like our stance yeah. on XYZ or even like like in in liking a video game more than someone else where we like really wrap ourselves in it that when someone disagrees that it doesn't it's no longer they're critiquing something that we're a part of or that we associate with it's now that they're like critiquing me they're critiquing or, me man yeah they're attacking yeah. me yeah, yeah, and yeah, so then exactly. you get way more intense and violent about it because it's it's no longer an outside thing. Like, let's say I line up no. with like a conservative party or like a liberal party. And if someone critiques either of those parties, it's no longer just critiquing and having an open discourse about that. It's now, oh, you've attacked me personally by questioning this. And that just it, like lights us up even more. 100%. So in Jesus, then, if... If, if we are made to not find our identity in ourselves or in um, things of this world or, or, or in things that we attach ourselves to, if we're meant to find it in Jesus, um, God, the creator of the universe, what does that actually look like? How is that different than just finding it in Donald Trump or Joe Biden or your sexual identity or whether yeah. you like Marvel or DC? Like, how is that yeah. What is different about finding that in Jesus than in finding it in other things? Yeah, I, I think the biggest difference is um, uh, when when we really understand like the beauty of who Jesus is, okay? We get him as our creator. We get mm -hmm. him as the one who loves us infinitely, the one who's with us and present, the one who doesn't leave us, doesn't forsake us, the one who's empowering us, the one who's doing at work, uh, transforming us. Mm -hmm. um, what that does is it is it gives us a deep sense of resilience. So whatever happens out here, if I understand who Jesus is and how he sees me, no matter what's happening out here, no matter how I think about myself changes, no matter what other people say about me, what that changes. If I can give the most weight to God's voice in my life, these hurt and it's hard and it can even feel threatening. But when mm -hmm. I ultimately move back to what my creator says and embrace who he says I am and live that out, in the midst of these storms, I'm, I can still be okay. So, um, so there's, when you take a look in scripture, the word glory talks a lot about glory, about God's glory, but that, that word glory actually has this meaning of weight or significance to it. So when we talk about glorifying Jesus, we're talking about giving him weight in our life, like his voice, what he says about us carries real weight. Um, here's my best kind of physical uh, well, my best uh, analogy of that, my wife has a lot of weight in my life, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like a lot yeah. of weight. And by the way, lots of good things that are part of our identity. It's just what's ultimate. That's just, just to be clear, I want to make that clear. Mm -hmm. And does it align those things that have play a role in shaping us? Do they align with God's design for us? That's part of what I want to say as well. But for Jen, like if I speak, let's say we do this podcast, Aiden, and at the end you say, man, Sid, this was great. Thanks so much. But my wife listens to it and she's like, Hey, Sid, you kind of stunk on there. No matter how many good things you say about me, <laughs> I'm going to feel her voice heaviest because I'm sorry. I love you, dude, but she has more weight in my life mm -hmm. than you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's a glory to her in my life. Now you can say, Sid, that wasn't very good. Please don't come back again. But she says, oh, babe, you killed it. Way to go. I'm like, I'm good, dude, because her voice has weight in my life. See, mm -hmm. the problem is, is we don't give Jesus voice enough weight. We don't understand mm -hmm. how unbelievable he is but like, like he's the creator what he's done how present he is like you know the word the language that many people would use is that we don't see him as our treasure we see him as like a savior we see him as a lord but we don't see him as a treasure and i think that's that's a really important um way that we need to lean towards and understand him because when he's our treasure then here's here's where it works itself out 
you take a look at Job, right? So what yeah. happens to Job? Job gets stripped of everything that culture values highly. He gets stripped mm. of like community. He gets stripped of, of, of goods, products. He gets stripped of health, like all this stuff. That's all good stuff, but it's like really significant. And he loses it all. And then what does he do? It says that he like mourns, blah, blah, blah. And then he says this, he starts to worship. He says, you know, naked, I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So mm. here's the point. He has tears. It's overwhelming. But in the midst of that, he's actually still good. There's a resilience and a strength to him. Why? Because the one thing he couldn't lose, which was God, was his had the most value in his life. It was defining mm. of him, even though he lost everything else. And so there was a strength in the midst of that. You'd, that's what happens, man. Like when our identity is rooted deeply in Jesus Christ, we can live in a pandemic. We can lose systems and processes. We can lose the ability to interact the way that we would long to. And these are all good things. We should mourn the loss of many of these things. Mm. But at the very foundation, we're still okay. Why? Because nobody can lose. When we're rooted in Jesus, we can't lose him. Like he's he's mm. he's over everything. We're good. I'm good. That's my identity. There's still a next step I can take. So I'm going to take it because that's where I'm rooted. So I think that's really that's what we're fighting for when it comes to our identity in Jesus Christ. Hmm. And so what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's not wrong to be like, I'm a dad, <laughs> I'm a parent, I'm uh, married to so-and-so, I work at a church, like I play sports, whatever. Like it's not wrong to have those things or I'm Canadian. Like those aren't bad. It's just that you don't find nope. your ultimate uh, like sense yeah. of purpose and drive and who you are and those things you find it in Jesus instead. And that's like the thing that's holding, you're holding on hundred percent. And we, we see him as the creator of these things. We enjoy and celebrate the good things he's given us. And so we're thankful for that, but they're not the ultimate thing. Mm. He is the ultimate thing. And so what happens is when Jesus is the ultimate thing, it changes my relationship with these other things. Mm. I can enjoy them, but they no longer own me. Uh. They don't own me. Uh, right. So in fact, what it does is it frees me up to enjoy them more. So, Hey, here's an example. My kid's into basketball, right? Loves it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, from a young age, he's like, I'm a basketball player, dad. And I'd always say to him, I'd say, son, you're not a basketball player. And like, what? I got the gear, got the ball. I said, Dude, you're not a basketball player. You, you're a follower of Jesus. Basketball is something you do, which is awesome. You love it. You should, but it's not who you are. And mm. so, um, uh, and so what that, you know, what's, what's cool about that is if basketball was who he is, he's going to have a yeah. trial over these next number of months to, he wants to go to the Canada games. He's gonna have a trial. If basketball defines who he is and he, um, he, then he lives in this fear of, of not making the team or, 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 um, or losing his position. There's a fear of that. That's consuming because if it's his identity, then he doesn't make it. He loses himself. However, mm. if it's not his identity, he doesn't have to be afraid. So he can just completely enjoy the moment. He can bring his best to it. He can, you know, he can celebrate good things about it. He can figure out ways to contribute because it doesn't own him. So if uh -huh. he loses it, it's going to be sad. It's a big part of our lives. It's what we do. We love it. Lots of good things come from it. It's going to be sad, but it doesn't own him. Life carries on. There's more beyond this. He's about something more than this. So I think that's, you know, that's what we're, that's what we were talking about. Yeah. Man, that's good. And it's like, and that's the thing too, is like, uh, it can feel like you're surrendering so much that it can feel oh, overwhelming. Yeah. But once you realize that it's, 
it's actually freedom. Like this isn't, it's not Jesus yeah. being like, oh, I'm going to control you. And now I'm your slave master. It's yeah. like, no, like I'm actually freeing you up to be the person that you were created to be. And I think yeah. um, I've heard it said that right now in culture, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. So right now in culture, the biggest struggle for people in Jesus who aren't Christian, or maybe even some who are, isn't that they don't believe in like the historical Jesus. Like I'm sure there are some people who are like, oh yeah, historically, I don't know if he's real, which is a really bad argument. And if you actually look at historians, it's not very yes. accurate. Or science where it's like, oh, I just don't know if the science points toward there being a God. It's actually more deep down at its root. The biggest struggle for our culture today is the identity piece and the the call to let go of the things that you currently find right in the end and to surrender them to Jesus. Do you think that that's accurate or do you think that's an oversimplification or what would be your thoughts on that? Do you think that that is one of the core biggest challenges that we're facing today in the Western world? Yeah, I think it's always been the challenge, Aiden, to some degree, mm. but I think we're more aware of it now than before. I think it's more mm. prominent because we've been messaging that you know we have the right to own our lives and do with our lives whatever we want with really no regard to the other in many ways. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we say as long as it doesn't hurt or bother someone else, blah, blah, blah. But the truth of the matter is there's very few things that we do to, that don't have effect on the other. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you know, like almost none. We were wired to belong to the other. And so God, you know, God gives us a framework for us to do that in a way that's flourishing for all, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I mean, you know, and we can challenge and have a conversation around that, but yeah, it's very true. It, it's always been true, but I think it's more prominent now because, um, uh, because, you know, with identity coming from within and being so oriented orient, or emotionally driven, you know, that, that deep, that sense of self being, being the controller of it. Um, we're more fragile, but it's more clearly opposed to the way of following Christ. Um, mm. And so that's where that tension, it's more personal now than it's ever been before. And off, off topic question that we didn't plan on talking about, but I kind of just want to hit it because you're, you're getting yeah. in there and, and I'm wondering it. So how, as followers of Jesus, how do we jump over the hurdle of, being in a culture where it's so hard to turn it, like how do we actually reach people who um, right now are like not wanting, like they're holding on to their identity and asking them if they need to surrender. Like how do we actually successfully do that? <laughs> well, like how do we actually reach these people who who are holding on to these things, rather than to let go of it and to grab onto something else? How do we yeah. do that? Yeah, I think there's two things that we have to do in particular. Number one, we have to model a new mm -hmm. reality, a new way forward. And, um, and here's what I think is fascinating. Like we're so hardwired to avoid difficulties. And by the way, we should pursue difficulty, but as followers of Christ, you, you know, when our life is, is working, all the things that culture values we're experiencing. And we say, God's good culture is like, yeah, that's cool for you. Like my life works too. <laughs> you know, I just, I just attribute it to something other than God. But when all the things that our culture values we're losing, so we're in crisis, we're in a pandemic, we're losing political control. Like yeah. whatever this is, and we can still have a sense of calmness in the mm. midst of that, a sense of peace in the midst of that, even joy, I would venture to say. We're not reactionary. Like there's there's something rooted there and established and we can go, hey, this is hard. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, it makes me sad. I cry. The tears are real, but I'm good. I'm good. Mm. In those moments, culture goes, okay, what's happening here? 
Like I got to understand what's taking, I think it's why the church has always flourished in, you know, in difficult spaces because Mm. we have an opportunity to image forth the treasure of Jesus and his role in our life in a more powerful way than in other spaces. So I think the first thing is we've got to model something. I think the second thing we have to do a better job is helping is inviting people, inviting people into a better way and explaining to them what the better way is. Like, like I think we got to quit defending that God is right and start showing how God is good. And that takes hard work because there's some complexity to that, especially when our primary definition of good is how we feel in the moment, because that's not Mm. always the case. So we have to do some hard work on helping people see and understand God's good way. And again, I think in a cynical space or environment we're in, our, our best way forward is not in confrontation, it's an invitation. So mm-hmm. I want to invite you into something better. Come, you know, come join me, come, you know, that kind of movement. And that's a different disposition. Here's what I think it requires. I think we have to understand that we don't have cultural space that we're defending anymore. That's long gone. Don't even know if it ever existed, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. I think we have to see ourselves as people who are on mission, bringing a new way of being, a new type of culture into the spaces we are. And when you move that way from a defensive position into that, you know, like that, uh, what do I want to say? That joyful, offensive way, it just changes the way you you are and how you engage the other, you know what I mean? And um, you don't get so angry and you don't get so defensive and you, you know, you, you actually, there's a whimsical way. It's, it's not, you're not, you're not ignoring what's taking place and there's deep sadness and things that we're convicted of and we should stand for and et cetera. But there's a different way that we do it that I think is open to people exploring because Mm -hmm. we have to work through that barrier of cynicism that maybe didn't exist in the same way that it does now. Yeah, no, that's so good. Sid, last question for you. As I'm hearing this, I'm like, as a follower of Jesus, how do I make sure that I'm finding my identity in the right things and not falling Great. down a path where I'm finding in the wrong things? How do I make sure that I'm actually like staying on the right track, finding my identity in Jesus yeah. and not falling into those traps? Yeah, I think that the I think there's a couple of things that we need to keep doing. So first of all, um, uh, I think we need to keep keep well rooted in scripture. Because scripture is the place that we most clearly see the reality of Jesus Christ and his way. There's lots of places where we see Jesus in creation, through community, all kind of stuff. But the place where he's most clearly revealed to us and his way is most clearly shown to us is through the word. So we got to be there. So we have to be rooted in that experience. And not, this. you know, Jesus said to the Pharisees, hey, you guys know the scriptures, but you don't know me. That's your problem. So it has to be centered in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, and that's, there's challenges. Listen, not simplistic. I get it. So I think we have to be we have to be centered there. And then the second thing is we have to take the position of the psalmist in 139, where in verse 23 and 24, and I've referenced it already, is he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. There needs to be a humble positioning that we continue to fight for before Jesus in the context of community with others. So Mm. his grace is primarily expressed through his body, his followers of Christ. And we have to remember, we actually belong to each other. Like we're not our own. So we're actually open 
to journeying with others and having others lean into our lives. And I think if that, I think that sense of humility is the best possible way that we can be positioned to have an identity rooted firmly in Jesus and continue to move us to move back there um, uh, as we, as we move forward. So that's, that's kind of the best I got these days, bro. That's what I'm, that's what I'm personally wrestling with. No, that's great. That's so good. So helpful. Sid, thank you for coming on, for doing this. This conversation, like even just for me, this has been helpful, but I'm so excited for others to hear this because I think I think this is gold. And I think this is honestly something that we're going to have to start talking about a lot more because I, I don't think it just ends here. Like I think that, like I said at the beginning, I think this message is all around us, but we just haven't identified and talked about it enough as a church yet. So I'm, thank you for doing this. This has been amazing. Dude, so my pleasure. And and I'm so thankful. And thanks for the work you're doing, bro. Keep at it, man. Thank you.